Welcome to the movie planet. Joining me today is the Skeletor to my He-Man, Steve. Hello, Steve. Everything comes to he who waits. And you have and been waiting I have for this. Waited so very long for <laughs> this moment. And, How you uh, doing, buddy? I'm well. You know what? I'm in a surprising good mood for this movie. Uh, <laughs> this week, you've nominated the science fiction adventure Masters of the Universe from 1987 for the Epic Fantasy Pantheon of Films. Yes, sir. Now, before we get started, I kind of want to go over. This is the this is the framework by which. Steve has chosen to place this movie. There are seven films in this genre. <laughs> Number one, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King with a perfect score. Number two, Troy with a perfect score. Number three, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring with an A minus. Number four, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers with an A minus. Number five, The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug with a B plus. Number six, The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies with a B. And number seven, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey with a B minus. So, Steve, you are convinced this movie belongs amongst the greats here. Or do you have sinister motives? Well, judging based on all of the pantheons that we have, I think that this one best fits this pantheon the best. Okay. I know know we wrestled back and forth with other ones, but I mean... It's an action adventure, but it's that epic fantasy that is so – it's right for this film. I hear you. All right. Well, the higher the grade we give this movie, <laughs> the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick you down on its butt from the pantheon of the future. So we will discuss this movie, and in an hour or so, we will analyze it and grade it and figure out where it stands amongst the elite. This is a spoiler-rich podcast. If you haven't <laughs> seen 1987's Master of the Universe – Oh, how you are missing out on this gem. It is best if you stop right here, watch the movie, and then turn us back on to enjoy our discussion and more than likely argument and analysis. But Mm -hmm. now that we've handled that business, let's get down to business. This week we are discussing 1987's Masters of the Universe, a movie that was made for $22 million that brought in $17.3 million at the box office. Now it should be noted, the original budget was $17, but it increased to $22, and this became Canon Films' most expensive film, Steve. Yeah, it was interesting. When I was reading the behind this, when I was watching the behind the scenes featurette, they had mentioned that trying to get production companies and universal at the time had like i don't know six or seven movies out canon they were like in the 80s yes with how many movies they were producing at this time (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, maybe hence the reason why for the small budget well there's a there's a few other reasons and we'll we'll get into that uh it was written by david odell who's famous for the dark crystal and then he ended up writing the entire age of resistance tv series also so clearly this is his zone this is this is where he operates well fantasy Mm mm-hmm yeah. Directed by Gary Goddard. And if you're curious, this was his directorial debut. If you're curious what else Gary ended up doing, I will now re- read the list of his entire directorial career after this movie. 
He filmed the pre-show video for Jurassic Park The Ride in 1996. It's a good ride and it's a good intro. He, he did Poseidon's Fury, Escape from the Lost City, a video short in 1999. He did Hershey's really big 3D show, a movie short in 2002, and then finally ended his career with Depot's Undersea 3D Wonder Show, Another movie short in 2005. Those are all of Gary Goddard's directorial movies. That's it. That's it. And with music from Bill Conti, who did the music for Rocky 1, 2, 3, 5, and Rocky Balboa. But not the best one for with Dolph Lundgren, who's in this movie. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) He also did the music for the Karate Kid 1, 2, and 3, and the next Karate Kid. I mean, that's a big-time thing doing the Rocky, because that's like, that music there, the Rocky theme is, everybody knows that. Well, yeah, in sport, I mean, he's good with sports, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Starring Ivan Drago, Dolph Lundgren as He-Man. Frank Langella, or is, is it Langella or Langella? Langella. Okay, Frank Langella as Skeletor. Meg Foster. Oh, by the way, this might be the last name that you under uh, that you recommend. Are uh, you under? <laughs> I can't do this. Anyway, Meg fucking Foster as Evil Lynn. Billy Barty as Gwildor, not Orko. Courtney Cox as Julie Winston. This was Courtney Cox's first major big budget picture. Yeah, the only thing she done. The- before this was the Bruce Springsteen music video. Ah, yes. Dancing in the dark, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, Robert Duncan McNeil as Kevin Corrigan, although not really important to have a last name with that character. Uh, John oh. Cipher as Duncan or Man at Arms. Chelsea Field as Tila. So Tila's in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Christina Pickles as the Sorceress of Grayskull, although they won't call her Tila now because I guess they're saving that for the sequel. Um, Christina Pickles ends up playing the mother of Courtney Cox in Friends in 1994. Oh, go figure. Yeah. And Mr. Strickland himself from Back to the Future, James Tolkien as Detective Lubick, who's clearly in the wrong movie. Oh, I don't know. He's he's, (laughs) this guy can play anything. It's it's always a surprise. Well, I know he's in the movie. But it's always fun when he pops back on the screen. Yeah. I expect him to be yelling at Maverick in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Slackers. <laughs> but let's get into the making of this quote-unquote film. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies. I make films. All right. Uh, there is not a whole lot about this movie. Clearly, nobody wanted to document what was going on. So I'm going to throw in some of the more interesting trivia bits people have submitted to IMDb throughout the course of this entire film as we go through it. But, Steve, I noticed you unearthed some facts about this wonderful cinematic feat. Can you uh, go into what you pulled off? I did. Um, so this film was kind of brought into production out of desperation. A film studio was going out of business, and you had a toy company who was on the verge of losing millions, $400 million worth of, <laughs> you know, income, pretty much. 
so this was like their last ditch effort to try to save both companies. Um, Gary Goddard, or is it Goodard? I can't remember how to pronounce Gary his Goddard. Name. Well, has to direct this movie and under the most extreme conditions. At multiple times, they had tried, the cannon had come in and to shut down production multiple times. Like they would literally come up to him and go in front of like the camera says, we're done here. There's no more money. We're shutting it down today. So I guess God bless him for being a completionist and actually uh, doing what he can to complete this. So Cannon and the toy company Mattel agreed to split the cost of the film. Okay. Now, it was interesting before all this happened that there was actually another company who put in a bid to produce this film. Oh, really? And it's a little company called Universal. And unfortunately... What happened, Steve? <laughs> Canon outbid them, and they won the rights to <laughs> produce this film because I'm willing to bet that they put all their marbles into one bag with this movie. Okay, just We so need I'm, something just, to resurrect this. Just so I'm clear, though... The production company that's in financial ruin is outbidding Universal yes. for a property that basically died four years before this. Okay, keep going, Steve. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, when I when I heard this tidbit, I said, "Could you imagine if Universal did this?" No. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, I think it'd have been a little better. But it would have been else? an Eternia, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So, Canon and the toy company Mattel agreed to split the cost of the film. Mattel put up the first half because that's what Canon wanted them to do. Well, they quickly burned through all that money, and then Mattel was expecting Canon to put up the other half. That's what they agreed on, and Canon said, "No, we're not doing that. We can't afford it." So, no. So they pretty much put Mattel in a bind because. They are relying on this film to save their toy franchise. So they had to fork up the rest of the money while Canon didn't put up anything. So already it's off to a rocky start. Right. Mattel had control over every part of the products from what the costumes were and how their characters were portrayed to the fact that they didn't want He-Man to be able to hurt <laughs> anybody on film. He didn't want them injuring or killing anybody because they wanted to have this wholesomeness about He-Man, a barbaric warrior. So the director, Gary, he decided they wanted to bring in these generic robots so that He-Man can battle them instead of real people. And, you know, quote, unquote, I guess you're not killing robots. So. This was for Gary Goodhart. They did not rip off Star Wars. Bull <laughs> And you know what? This is where I had a huge problem with this is because how – I mean you could say that as a director and you could believe that, but everybody in your fan base knows exactly what's going on. Right. <laughs> so he said, nope, we didn't rip off Star Wars. We created generic robots so that – he-Man has something to battle. And if you watch the film, you'll notice this is really all he battles besides – you know, I think Blade, but he doesn't really do anything to him. Yeah. Well, it's funny because <laughs> this is where they start adding things in that were never a part of He-Man. Yes. <laughs> so Bring because of all of these restrictions and whatnot, halfway through production, the toy business of He-Man was diving hard 
It, uh, it, it was peaking at the beginning of production, and then halfway through, it started to dive. And Mattel was freaking out. And the director was just like, well, we'd like to do this, this, and this, but our hands are kind of tied. We can't really do anything. So Mattel was like, do whatever you need to do. Have them kill people. Have them do whatever you got to do. Doesn't matter. We need this to be successful. <laughs> so the director, Gary Goodard, had more free range over the characters than so that they could actually do more. One of the best things that they did was hire Frank Langella. Everybody loved Frank Langella for the lead character of the picture. He was an, esta- he was an established a- actor at that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's they got history. Not- yeah, he played Dracula. He was the original Dracula. They were not as receiving about Dolph Lundgren. Uh, he had only really done the Rocky movie, and his accent was still very heavy. It was interesting that Dolph Lundgren had placed in his contract that he can do his lines up to three times in order to get the accent out of the Christ. way. Christ. Um, needless to say, Mattel was very nervous about Dolph Lundgren. And at one point, they wanted to dub his voice <laughs> with someone else's at the time. This is Alien 3. <laughs> and the funny part is, they actually tried and they tested this to see if it would work. And they brought in, I don't know who they brought in, but they said it absolutely worked flawlessly. And it worked very well. And the mm. director was willing to go with it. But the people at Mattel, and I think it can, and I think wanted to stick to their guns oh, God. and say, nope, we're going with Dolph. We're going to do it, you know? Yeah. The final battle scene <laughs> is supposed to be this epic battle. The good versus the dark, the light versus the dark, all of this Where have I heard that before? <laughs> <laughs> so right before they started shooting the scene, Canon executives walked in <laughs> and they said, probably, I don't know, for the last time or for the second time, however many times they said, we're done. The movie's over. Whatever you got, that's going to be our movie. We <laughs> ran out of money. And it's like, we still have this epic battle scene to film. Right. So Gary Goodard want to have at least an end to the movie. He could not finish this film based on that. Cause I think what Canon was, was like, just let him fight in the throne room fight, and then we'll just fade it out. That's what Cannon wanted to do. And they were good with that. He said, you can't fade out at the end here. You need to have some kind of conclusion, some final battle scene. So the final battle scene was not choreographed because it was <laughs> shot in one day. It looks and bad. due to time and money restraints. And to save money, just in case they had to come back in and completely kick out and shut everything down, they decided to turn the lights off on the stage <laughs> and just use backlighting to highlight the two characters that are battling. Yep. And I say battling loosely because it's, <laughs> it, it's absolutely horrendous. We've mocked this before, but now I can actually say Kylo Ren might finally be better at sword fighting than somebody in cinema. It's He-Man. Oh, I agree. I completely 110% agree. Um, so, yeah, that was the final battle scene and kind of the final thing that I was able to unearth as a for uh, this film, which was crazy. Well, uh, many, were, you, were you able to find yeah. anything? Uh, there's a few things. One thing, many viewers of this movie, critics and all that stuff, they reviewed the motion picture back then in comparison to the cartoon when it really wasn't 
adaptation of the toys only which initially depicted he-man as a barbarian in the first mini comics not prince adam or oko orko those didn't come until the cartoon but funny enough if you've ever seen there's a really cool documentary on netflix called uh the toys that made us or something like that and they do an entire thing on he-man it's the funniest episode you'll ever see because they essentially started off with the toys. They had all these extra molds and they were like, well, let's let's make a toy for ourselves because this is now like right after uh, Return of the Jedi. They're sitting there going, we need to make some toys. We need to figure some stuff out and so we can market the stuff because Star Wars is going crazy right now. So they find these molds and they basically go, okay, well, I got some Viking guy here and uh, what's his backstory? I don't know. Let's just sell it. Well, <laughs> they decide to make all these molds of these characters and they they're showing them off to the company Mattel and they're like we've got all these and they're like okay it's great but who the hell are they and they're like well we'll a- include a, a little comic inside each one that provides a backstory for each character so they put this out there and then they're like hey on top of this let's make a cartoon and the guys that are making the e-man figures they're like we don't have an idea for this but this sounds great so they they basically fabricate everything off the idea that they just had extra molds oh very nice yeah so needless to say the cartoon obviously is more successful than the comics nobody reads the comics when they get a figurine they're just like it's a cool figure play in the bathtub with them Well, Ed Pressman was interested in the property before the cartoon was even aired and purchased the movie rights of the Mattel characters. And they were trying to get on the thing of, well, Star Wars, they got their figures. If we get our figures, let's make a movie with those. Kids will love it. (sighs) (laughs) It was logistically too complicated and expensive to include creatures, such as, you know, a little-known one like Battle Cat. Except... People only knew He-Man from the show. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that I, I, I think it's hysterical that this is just, as you learn about the He-Man franchise and where it started, you realize that this all starts on lies <laughs> to make money. And yeah. it, it, with each evolution of what's happening from the figures to the comics to the TV show to the movie, it's like multiplicity. When they get to the fourth Michael Keaton, it's a copy of a copy of a copy. It's not quite great. Yeah. As you're reading this, I was doing that um, research because I've seen the thing on Netflix that you were talking about. Yeah. But I guess there's another documentary that's completely on Masters of the Universe. I think that toy line that I saw, and I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm going to start with you, Steve. How did you hear about this movie? And do you remember when you first saw it? I had to have seen this when it came out on home video because I never very rarely went to the movies when I was young. Yeah. And I loved it. <laughs> I was into He-Man. I had the figurines. I was into the cartoon. Heck, if anything, I have all of season one on DVD. Oh, (laughs) my God. I remember going to the video store back then (laughs) and renting the crap out of this film. (laughs) And I would sit there watching this movie while holding the box at the same time <laughs> and be looking at the box, look at the movie. I was just like, this is so cool. This is my and, hero realized. Yeah. And I think what even put me over the edge, I think it was 
Oh, I, it was like Knott's Berry. Oh, that's what it was. I used to live in California. We went to Knott's Berry Farm, and they had a live action. It was like 20 minutes um, performance, and it was all He-Man based. And my mother will tell me to this day that, Steve, when He-Man came on the stage, <laughs> you were on the edge of your seats. Your jaw was dropped, and you were just in you were just starstruck with all this. So when they came out with the movie, I was right there with it. When did you see this? <sighs> I remember not liking it. I don't remember when I first saw it, but I'm pretty sure the last time I saw it was 25 to 30 years ago. <laughs> I just, I, I, I grew up with E-Man. Okay. Uh, I remember watching the TV show. Did you know they made 130 episodes of that TV show? I believe it. That's when they, they were riding high, Filmation and Mattel. And that's they, when that, He-Man that and G.I. A- Joe would come in like back to back. And He-Man also, if you remember, had little lessons at the end. Yes, they did. Would have been nice to have that in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a financial lesson for the people in charge. <laughs> um, yeah, so I remember, I, here's the thing. I remember seeing it. I don't remember seeing it in a theater it must have been on home video, but I remember not watching it all the way through. Say you just cut yourself short. That's that's not right. I don't think so. I think even <laughs> I think even then, as I'm sitting there at like eight or nine or ten or however old I was when I saw this, by that time I was watching movies like, and you've heard the story, Aliens. The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. When you drop down to this level, even a nine year old can go, This is yeah, that's very true. You did, uh, you did adult yourself in the in the film industry quite early. Yes, I did. Um, okay, so let's get started walking through this movie. Cue the clip. People of Eternia, I stand before the great eye of the galaxy, chosen by destiny to receive the powers of Grayskull. This inevitable moment will transpire before your eyes. Even as He-Man himself bears witness to it. Now, I, Skeletor, am master of the universe. More than man, more than life, I 
We get an introduction with narration setting the movie at the center of the universe, at the border. And I, everybody out there, I want you to listen to these words because this is supposed to set the stage. At the center of the universe, at the border between the light and the dark stands Castle Grayskull. For countless ages, the sorceress of Grayskull has kept this universe in harmony. But the armies of darkness do not rest, and the capture of Grayskull is evermost in their minds. What are those that control Grayskull will come the power? The power to be supreme, the power to be almighty, the power to be... Go ahead, Steve. The masters of the universe. So, after that, we cue the fake Superman theme with the fake Superman credits. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, um, that was a complete ripoff. Steve, Steve, I mean, at that point, don't you sit there going, something's screwy here. Well, yeah, but I'll tell you, when I when I see this introduction and I hear this introduction and the beginning credits are all blue and it's got like this Arctic you know, wind in the background, and all of a sudden you hear the synthesizers. This movie is very heavy synthesizers when I watch this this time. And it goes, doom. I can't even do it with my with my voice. Maybe we, maybe we can get that on the soundboard. Well, and then the voice goes over and it does that whole introduction. I have goosebumps, and I am glued to every single word that's being done. And it just it sounds really cool. Well, remember this is written by the same guy that did the Dark Crystal, which was made in 1982. So yes. five years beforehand, and the Dark Crystal starts the exact same way. Yeah, and it's a very good introduction to that film and explains everything in that little nutshell in fact i i venture to say that this opening is the exact same opening (laughs) isn't that something to research now i'm looking at it right now here's the dark crystal it says another world another time in the age of wonder a thousand years ago, this land was green and good until the crystal cracked, for a single piece was lost, a shard of the crystal. Then strife began, and two new races appeared, the cruel Skeksis and the gentle mystics. Good and evil. <laughs> and it even ends, holy shit, the whole thing ends with the title of the movie. Mm-hmm. Today, once more, they will replenish themselves, cheat death again through the power of their source. Their treasure, their fate, the dark crystal. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple parallels in there. I'll give you that. Uh, yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so I was uh, just like leading up to this main title. I was like, God damn it. I am a 36 year old man and I freaking still love this. I can't it believe it. It still gives me goosebumps. No, we need to rewatch Superman. Well, the music is very Superman. And I feel like they tried to capitalize on that. Oh, uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
little Superman. <laughs> a little Superman. No, I'll give you that. <laughs> That's all I'm playing of that in case we get, you know, screwed over by Universal or Paramount, whoever produced Superman. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So you said earlier yes. that you said pay attention to these words. Yes, because the words have already contradicted themselves. <laughs> Because it says here, the sorceress has kept the universe in harmony, but that gray skull is what has the power. So, what? I mean, which one do you, I mean, it seems like you don't need the castle if you listen to this narration. You just need the sorceress. I always looked at it as the sorceress is, is a powerful guardian of the castle. The castle holds mystic powers, and the sorceress is there... Well, she's not house. much of a that's guardian. A well, she's a sorceress. I mean, she is pretty powerful. Unfortunately, you don't see any of that power because she's all of a sudden just kidnapped. Well, right. But then that makes you. Then that makes you think. Whoa, how powerful is Skeletor now? If you're just guarding a, a like a, a time stone, that's one thing. She's trying to guard an entire castle. No, that's gonna lo- that's well, a losing battle. And where are the armies of Grayskull anyway? Shouldn't they be in Grayskull? Well, they probably are. I mean, you don't see them. No. <laughs> you have to assume that they're there. Well, and they're here, fighting the good fight. And here you is our say, answer to that question. <laughs> on go the, ahead. On the planet Eternia, at the center of the universe, the forces of Skeletor have managed to seize control over Castle Grayskull and capture the sorceress of Grayskull. Skeletor is planning to exploit Grayskull's hidden powers when the Great Eye of the Galaxy, a portal in the castle's throne room, opens and Eternia's moon is correctly aligned with it. Okay, so again, Skeletor enters the room. The music that sounds like John Williams is cast off. I get it. Skeletor is Darth Vader. I mean, okay, we get it. But c- no, come on, he's come not on. Darth Vader. He is Emperor. He's not Vader. He's more Emperor esque. I I'll give you this. Skeletor's makeup looked really good in 1987. <sighs> yes, it did. It, it does very good. In 1987, it looked fantastic. It looked like a skull's face. In fact, I would even go so far to venture to say, if Marvel was looking back and they saw, ooh, that's how we can do Red Skull, that probably was the inspiration. Yeah, I thought his makeup was awesome. Except for one thing. Oh, yeah? And it was the felt covering his <laughs> nostrils. You really, you, you couldn't look past that piece? <laughs> no, you can't because they do some close-ups and it's super obvious. And I'm like, oh, it, it was always tough to get by. Yeah. But when Skeletor comes in, it's one hell of an entrance and it's Frank Langella. It's a long this freaking a- walk. That walk is something out of Spaceballs when he's trying to walk all the way across the ship and he goes, damn, this ship is too big. <laughs> it is. It is. But he is walking with a purpose. Every single time he walks, he's slamming his cane down, his cane, his staff. Yeah. And he is just walking with a purpose. And I honestly believe, and the directors would, would agree with me and everybody else, Frank Langella took over this character and made it his own. And for being a high prized actor that he is like, I put like Frank Langella and Mike cocaine (laughs) (laughs) really on the same pedestal. They're not like the big, big, huge actors that you see today. Yeah. But they are masters of their, they are masters. Oh, there we are. Uh, (laughs) okay so so to be clear skeletor has castle grayskull 
and the sorceress. Now, based on the narration at the beginning, that should be the end of it. Skeletor's won. He has the power to be supreme, the power to be almighty, the power to be masters of the universe. He's won. It's over. Well, right? He still has his, he still has his arch nemesis out there. Who, who the f- cares? He won. It's over. But he needs to have everything, and that's said later. He needs to have everything, and he still has this little thorn in his side called the now. See, now he has the castle. Now he wants to go out and completely dominate everything on Eternia. Well, realistically, so he has the, now he has the power to do it. If he's almighty he do and he's supreme, he should have no problem taking out He-Man then. One would think. So I is it, is it not you. supreme power then? It's his supreme power. But that's just like how wonderful He-Man is. Um, Skeletor is going to usher in a new age and anyone who opposes him will be destroyed. So basically, once that's done... What happens? Does everyone else live harmoniously then? Because he's never... Here's the thing. He just wants power, but you don't know what for. I have an answer to that. Ooh, I'm when, listening. When when he's done and he's eradicated everything that he's done, he'll finally rest and he'll be peaceful on a grateful universe. Are you actually comparing Skeletor to the Mad Titan? <laughs> well, who, who, by the way, succeeded in his quest? Yes, he did. But that line came before he succeeded. But that's exactly what I would, that's exactly what Skeletor would do. He also didn't worry about after he succeeded, swinging his dick in front of the heroes. He just said, you know what? I won. It's over. Oh, yeah. He needs to win first. Yeah. He hasn't done that yet. Okay. He, he already has. Because according to the narration, that's all you needed to do. Then they moved Take- the goalpost saying, oh, guess what? We're going to add a great, great eye in the sky now because we realize we've already tied this up. Eternian forces are scattered and outnumbered. And outclassed. One of Skeletor's patrols is attacked by Eternia's greatest warrior and Skeletor's arch enemy, He-Man, veteran soldier man-at-arms, and his daughter, Tila. During the battle, He-Man rescues a Thanorian inventor and locksmith named Gwildor, who reveals to his rescuers his newest invention, a cosmic key, which can open a portal to any location in time and space by playing musical notes. <laughs> Skeletor stole the key from him and used it to get into the castle Grayskull, so he's got that too. Great, <laughs> but Gwildor kept the prototype. Gwildor leads the others into a secret passageway straight to the castle. He-Man has a sword. Okay, when did he get a laser gun? Yeah, no. Well, funny thing. If you go by the original figure before the cartoon, he could have a sword and a laser gun. I felt that that was just pretty. <sighs> Again, <laughs> Mr. Gary, because I still can't remember how to pronounce Goddard, Goddard, as in God. Goddard. God, God. Okay, yes. Oh, God. Okay, I can remember that because Skeletor does turn. Okay. Um,. Not got enough. You can apparently. say to your blue in your face, so you didn't rip off Star Wars. But as soon as you enter those blasters, come on. <laughs> if He Man is the eye candy for the ladies, Tila, I guess you're the eye candy for the guys in this. Well, so far, but well, I don't know. Well, Evil Lynn <laughs> was pretty sultry too. Oh, I'll get to that later. Uh, <laughs> okay, Gwildor. <laughs> Shouldn't this be Orko for God's sake? Okay, so whether you agree with it or not, I have a little rationale. I'm listening. Okay, okay. so why not Orko? I, when I think of Orko, and from what I can remember yep. from the cartoon, yes. 
is he is a humorist. He's the humor in the show, and he's this flying being who's also a magician. Yes. I think that this would have been very difficult to pull off, and this is my just my opinion, as it would have to be computer generated. Mm-hmm. I think if, if it was a puppet, it would have been a lot difficult. Plus, again, I don't think you they had twenty two million. They, they didn't have a whole lot of money. So I think if you wanted to do Orco and do it right, it would have had to have been computer generated. What if you took the flying out of it and just had Billy Barty, who plays Gwildor, dress in a red hat and a big red shirt with a big o on it and he's a wizard who just walks around with them i mean if you took the flying out of it you have orco well then i think again i i, I think you're damned if you do damned if you don't it would have been a double-edged sword then people would have bitched and complained says that's not orco as opposed to looking you at Gwildor going you who the f- is that well they completely <laughs> they didn't want to like disrespect i guess again we're just hy- being hypothetical here the original character, because he was a fan favorite, because he was that comedic relief. So I think they took the essence of Orko, okay? Okay. A short, stubby little guy. <laughs> Instead of making a magician, he made him an, an inventor. And Orko was, he was funny, but he was also very annoying. I see a lot of parallels with Orko and Gwildor. And I think for live action, this was the best they can do. Gwildor is an annoying dwarf that's an inventor. Well, it's funny you I mentioned. Think, yeah. I think that just seems better suited for the live action. Okay, okay. I respectfully disagree, but we have another comparison. Gwildor welcoming people into his home. It kind of reeks of Yoda, doesn't it? I mean, he even talks in the same voice. He doesn't use backward language, but the tone is the same. I'll go go with you on that one. I can't remember. That, that never stuck out to me. He walks, he, he walks into his house. Every time he goes, come, come, come inside. Oh, that was annoying. Come, come, come. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Gwildor. So you're gonna do one line like that, and he's all of a sudden. No, he Yoda. says several lines, but everybody's kind of like in the whole like, oh, he's in a much smaller place, and he's the wisdom of the moment. That's Yoda. He's the one that sets them on the journey for what they have to do. Yeah. Uh, Gwildor is he saying that he had the key stolen because quote she was cute? <laughs> Seduced. <laughs> I think he was thinking with the wrong. Had he was thinking of his Zorko? He was thinking of his Zorko. <laughs> yeah. I did have a problem with this. I'm listening. And it was the whole thing of this cosmic key. Because <laughs> he explains how it works and that he had a prototype and how they, in a nutshell, created it in like a sentence or two. So I go, so you're telling me <laughs> that they use this cosmic key that when they were building it during design construction phase, no one... In that peaceful race goes, I got a question. (laughs) And didn't think of any of the cons that would come in if you could just hit a couple buttons and go in and out wherever the hell you wanted to. That what would happen if this fell into the wrong hands? Should this be made? And I'm thinking, this is not a peaceful race. This is an ignorant race. That's a race that needs to be conquered. (laughs) I'm just, I, I was totally flabbergasted. That, oh, we didn't even think of this. We're a peaceful race. How do we ever think that this could ever happen? Stop it. Yeah. The throne room is empty, much to He-Man's concern. While Gwildor attempts to free the sorceress from her confines, the group is surrounded by Skeletor and his troops. I'm not going to lie. I feel like the throne room was inspiration for Wakanda. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I, just, I think Wakanda is a little bit better. Well, it is 2020 versus 1987, but <laughs> they're still pressing some, you know, pretty. It, it's well, it looks very regal, but it's scientific on the inside. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's quiet. A little too quiet. The sorcerer trapped by the energy field is funny because the strobe light just turns off on accident midway through her response. And you're like, oop, that's a budget. Did it really? Because I yeah. thought that was just part of the force field. Nope. So that you could visibly see that there's a force field there. <laughs> but it turns off midway through her talking. Oh, I didn't catch that. <laughs> okay. The great eye. The narrator, she she never, the guy never mentioned that at the beginning, the great eye. He just said you needed the sorcerer and Grayskull. I feel like Skeletor is a moment shy of just quoting Lando and saying, this deal is getting worse every time. <laughs> well, I think you, you need Grayskull because it controls the power of the universe. And I think he did his timing. Well, I think he did a pretty good job of timing this all because it only seems like this the moon rises to its apex in line with Eternia only at a specific time so that you can receive the powers of the universe. Okay. So I think there was a little planning and preparation of when he did this. So he got it. He got the sorcerer. He's surrounded the place. Nobody can get in. Those that get in get caught immediately. Mm-hmm. He won. Because well, he threw- no, he didn't win. <laughs> you, you, you'll, you'll die on that hill, won't you? Uh, it's just... <laughs> The little worm has another key. Skull. There is, there is some. There, there, now there's two of this prize possession. He-Man has the ability to ambush at any time, anywhere with this other key. But Skeletor when he ambushes, he gets control over He-Man and all things. And if he doesn't, if he possesses, he, he needs that other key because that's something that can be used against him. Now He-Man has the free will to come in whenever he wants, wherever he wants. He can catch. God damn it, I can't believe I'm even thinking of this. Do it. He can catch Skeletor showering or even sleeping and just ambush him, which I guess might have been probably the thing to do at the time as opposed to the other plan that they talk about him. So he has not won. He doesn't know where He-Man is, and he can still do whatever he wants. Skeletor, Skeletor is a man of control. Skeletor is threatening to kill the sorceress. But doesn't that make her pointless then? Well, it's a threat. <laughs> but that's the thing. If you're He-Man and he goes, if you do anything else, I'm going to kill her. This is the un- this is not your village where you're like, oh, well, we can't lose her. This is the universe. You go, well, shit. okay, go ahead. It's over then. <sighs> and why did He-Man unsheath his sword when he's just going to shoot his fucking laser gun? <laughs> this is okay. Darth Maul at the end of Solo turning on his lightsaber. No, this is, you pull out your laser sword and you need your shield. It wasn't a laser sword. It was just a regular sword. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Your laser gun. But see, you compared him to Maul. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> you need your offense and your defense. He has his, he has his gun. And I hate the fact that I'm talking about guns in a He-Man movie. I know. That's probably one of my bottoms, <laughs> I think. But uh, yeah, he uses that. And you see him actually using it as he deflects blaster bolts off. So he pulls out his sword, and it's also—it's an offensive and a defensive weapon. It's a lightsaber. It's the if it's deflecting bullets. <laughs> it's the uncivilized version. Well, no, is it? You just Guns said he's deflecting. Go, yeah, no, yeah, he's deflecting the blaster bolts. He's not using it as an offensive weapon. No, he's not. So that's the beauty of the sword. It can be used for offense and defense. So he's a Jedi barbarian. Yes, he is. During well, the... <laughs> he's a he's a rebel. 
barbarian. Oh, Jesus. During the panic, Gwildor uses his key to open a random gateway because this inventor doesn't know where the fuck he's going, uh, which he and Man and his friends escape through. Their destination seems to be Earth, but on arriving there, the key gets misplaced and the Eternians separate to find it. Uh, Skeletor's stormtroopers look like uh, little mini Vaders. They do. Uh, the source, they do. The sorceress says to He-Man, go, Eternia needs you. Then why are you going? <laughs> Live to fight another day. <laughs> Clearly they're outnumbered. And when you go back and you are kind of ripping on Gwildor, I this is our civil war. <laughs> when you're ripping on Gwildor, it's just saying they don't know where to go. Man at arms is yelling, says, where do we go? Where do we, or no, Gwildor was saying, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? Anywhere, anywhere besides this. So he's punching keys at random just to get him the hell out of there. You know? Now, I, I will say they, uh, that it was a close one to where they landed. You know, the, the stars were on their side, but they just wanted to get the hell out of there. It didn't matter where they went. They so- needed to get out of there. So they took the chance to survive another day. And that's why the sorceress was telling him to go regroup, live to fight another day. So, so let me get this straight. Skeletor already has the sorceress. He's got gray skull. He's got a key. He man is out of his hair. He man and his friends are basically lost. And Skeletor wants to find where he man is because why dude, you won. It's over. Worst villain ever. Justin Hammer would have realized he won already, for God's sakes. Your retort, sir. At the end of this, I am going to demand an apology. (laughs) The fact that you related Justin Hammer to Skeletor. Sorry, one is a little more competent. The little worm has another key. But they don't need it. Skeletor needs it. He only needed the one. He needs them both. No, he doesn't. He's already Yes, he does. He, he needs them both. He didn't know He-Man the second has... one existed. Evil oh! <laughs> Evil Lynn yells out and says the little worm has another key. And he goes, What? No. So he knows that there's another key out there. Evil Lynn spied and said something about that. Is it so nec- Skeletor knows that, oh my god, now there's another key. I need to have that key because then now He-Man can come and go and do what he wants. He has just lessened my power and made me vulnerable. But they, I need to possess that key or I possess nothing. But they've already proven that when he uses the key to sneak into the castle, he's going to get caught. Well, so if I they didn't have that scene, I could totally agree that he could sneak in whenever he want. But Skeletor's already proven that he's got a key. He And He-Man sneaking in shouldn't matter because in the on the film, they've proven that if he sneaks in, he's going to get caught. Now, are you are, are you going under the assumption that they used the cosmic key to get into the castle the first time? Oh, they used the back door, they didn't did. they? I don't think they used it. I thought they did because they went from no. Gwildor's straight to that. Well, as they're leaving, <laughs> this is great. As they're leaving, Tila yells out, Gwildor, where does this lead? To the caverns underneath Grayskull. Oh, you're right. You're right. So I don't think they used the key because they also knew that they cannot activate the keys because it disrupts the gravitonic waves and Skeletor's key can then locate because there's that disruption. So they didn't want to use that so they can sneak into the castle. Ah, okay. All right. 
So I don't think they used it the first time. And anytime after that, yes, they did. I'll give you the win. Doesn't excuse the rest of this plan, but I'll give you that. <laughs> oh, I just thought it was funny when after He-Man escapes and they've gone through, first off, the fact that Gwildor shoots out a little grappling and grabs the key. Oh, I thought that was Man at Arms that back did that. in there was freaking ridiculous. I thought Man at Arms did that. Uh, I think Man at Arms had it. No, I guess we don't know because Man at, Arm ha Man at Arms has it when they're out of the door. But then Gwildor is using it later on to get some ribs. <laughs> we'll get to that. It, Don't worry. We'll get to but, that. Oh, yeah. But then, obviously, the guy's pissed. Skeletor's pissed. And he's going on. He says, I must possess all or I possess nothing. And then he goes right up to the camera and says, find them. It's like, am I being recruited? <laughs> do I need to find him? Because he looks dead at the camera. I don't know why they did that kind of a shot. And so. you thought, find the rest of your nose. Oh, God. Again, yeah, they did the rest of the nose. Uh, okay, so the plan is they want to get to the throne room, break open the force field, and free the sorceress. But wasn't that the plan last time? I mean, they literally had a chance to do that five minutes ago. Yeah, but now they want to use the element of surprise because what? now they have a key. Why? It's still a dumb plan. It's still a dumb plan. I'm totally <laughs> agreeing with you. But as a it was a little different than what they did earlier as opposed to walking through the front door. <laughs> I almost feel like this would work better if you saw skeleton before they leave Gwildor's to go down to the secret tunnel to get into the throne. Mm -hmm. If they got to Gwildor's and the, what do you call it? Uh, Skeletor and his people are outside his door banging it down and they escape from that point to, uh, to earth. You solve a lot of these problems. I don't know. They, I, uh, Meanwhile, nearby, two teenage lovers named Julie and Kevin discover the key in a crater and start pressing its buttons, suspecting it to be some sort of music device. <laughs> <laughs> um, first off, this looks nothing like anything musical. Plus, <laughs> this device never made a sound like that when Gwildor was using it. No, they just were like heavy pressing on buttons. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. I guess whenever you saw Gwildor use it, it was like. But then again, <laughs> this thing has multiple keys. Maybe he just didn't hit that key. The, D, that the D flat. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the perfect pitch. Yeah, right. Sure. Young Courtney Cox. Was she ever not cute? I mean, and she comes with barbecue ribs, Steve. I guess when they did the casting for her. Yeah. They had her come in and they did it. And Gary Goddard wasn't really convinced because I guess she had just come off the Bruce Springsteen. Mm -hmm. She really wanted to get this gig. She came in fully dolled out, makeup galore, wanted to look as hot as possible. And Gary Goddard was like, eh, I don't know. Well, I guess the casting director wanted her to give her another chance. And the casting director called her and said, look, we want to give you another shot. Tone down everything. Just come in, jeans. Because they were looking for that not that model type figure. They wanted this classic girl next door. Look, she came in, she read the lines. She won it right then and there. So she would have done that the first time she would have got it. But yeah, I totally agree. She's got this laid back look about her and she stills cute. I'm curious to how old she was in this. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, and they go, you know, Kevin and Julie, they're going to go on a, a kind of nice date. They get some barbecue ribs and they're going to go to the cemetery. 
<laughs> I feel like the parental goodbye would have done before the date. Well, I think when she's in the van and says, Kevin, before I leave, I want to go say goodbye to my parents. Because she was leaving that night on a plane, 830. Is she I've leaving on a jet plane? Don't know when she'll be back again? I guess not. <laughs> but she wanted to go say her goodbye. And then you could even tell it was like, uh, yeah, sure. Right. No problem. Let's go there. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, everybody, Tila, Man at Arms, Gwildor, they get to sample some ribs. But now i got a question. Is everybody in Eternia a vegetarian? I mean, maybe that's why Skeleton's Army was so successful. The opponent hasn't had any meat. I think this was a vegan agenda plug. <laughs> I really do. It was, and it was funny because it's like, oh, such a barbaric world. I'm like, are you saying that you know, if people who aren't vegan or eat meat, they're barbaric? And then they go to Gwildor, who's just chowing down, and he loves it. And then all of a sudden, oh, because somebody else doesn't like it because it's barbaric. I guess I don't like it now. And he even says it tasted good. Yeah, yeah. The fact that it's coming off of a bone—that's the problem. They flip flop based on people's agendas. Yeah. Oh, there's an agenda later on. There's also they get shoved in your face too. (laughs) Oh yes, it is. (laughs) Uh, It was a plane crash. These things just happen. (laughs) No, they don't. (laughs) Are you serious with that line? (laughs) Minus that was minus brownie points. And is she under the impression that her presence on the plane wouldn't have crashed it? Well, she, because she blew off her parents and lied to him to go spend the day with Kevin, if she would not have done that and went to, you know, the beach or wherever they would have, they would not have got on the plane in the first place. So I think it wasn't her thinking that, oh, if I was on the plane, it wouldn't have happened. But then again, we've learned this from Back to the Future and from Endgame. That any little time blip that you change in the past, okay, maybe Endgame's not a great example, but in Back to the Future, if you change one thing, it can completely change the outcome of the future. So I don't know, maybe. These teenagers are stupid as hell. Oh, yes, they are. At Castle, um, yeah, go ahead. I have to talk about, first off, Yeah. they find this key in this... Traitor. Yep. And she is, I'm ready. Okay. She's crying about her dead parents. Yep. And she's ready to leave everything behind that she has ever known in her life. Her boyfriend, who she's probably been dating for a month or so. (laughs) And all of a sudden, whoa, Kevin, look at this thing. It's so cool. She got over that quick, didn't she? Yeah. (laughs) And then. Kevin goes down there and looks at this crater and looks at this alien type thing. Oh, let's just pick it up and let's just start touching and playing with it. Literally <sighs> presses the big red button. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's check this out. Yeah. Yeah, at, they're stupid. Uh, yeah. At Castle Grayskull, Skeletor's second in command, Evil Lynn, tracks the key to Earth and prepares a small team of mercenaries to recover it. They consist of Saurad, Blade, Beastman, and their leader, Karg. Now, first thing I got to say is, you know, Evil Lynn fucks like a puma. Oh, yeah. Okay? Now. She's crazy. When these guys are introduced, all I can hear is Ben Stiller from Dodgeball. This is Blade. Laser, Blazer, <laughs> my fitness conciliary, Michelle, and Franz Stelanoskovich Tenovich. <laughs> yeah, they are. 
a curious quartet. <laughs> Thank you, Skeletor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I had an issue. The only one this. I knew was Beast Man. Yeah, that was the only one I knew, too. All the other ones were made up. Yeah. They should have had, they should have got rid of Sarad and made him Trapjaw. Now, Blade apparently was in the comics and he lost his eye because of He-Man. Well, I wish they kind of would have touched on something like that. And I guess they kind of did when I've waited a long time for this, but I'm like, I have no idea. For what, what? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, um, but I guess the guy who played Blade was the one who, was the one who trained Dolph Lundgren in the oh, archery. Christ. <laughs> who clearly he is a better swordsman than anybody yeah. in this entire sh- movie. Right. Yeah. Okay. So Kevin and Julie are spending the evening after hours at their high school because that that's that's what you do. However, Kevin is curious about the device they found and takes it away to get a second opinion, leaving Julie alone. This is the worst date ever. A portal then opens with the mercenaries storming into the gym where Julie is. The four of them shoot at Julie, who takes cover behind the band equipment and manages to escape. Okay, so this date is Julie wanting to see her dead parents and be alone. Awesome. <laughs> you know, there's a part in this movie last night that I saw when Kevin goes, Hey, Julie, check this out. And he plays this little jingle on the keyboard. I'm like, fucking great five-second song, loser. <laughs> so what do you think? I'm like... You just no. Yeah, and then a teacher bars it. Is he as a teacher wearing a letter jacket? Custodial engineer. <laughs> He's a janitor. Got it. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about these mercenaries. Karg says to take her alive. Then Blade almost kills her by shoving two swords into the floor blindly. Alive, dead. What are we doing here? Well, almost kills her. But he doesn't. I think he knew what he was doing. He can see through the floor? He just wanted to stop her from crawling underneath there. So he puts his swords down there. And, I mean, he's got that patch over his eye. And I I look closely. His patch almost has like a a bullseye etching on it. Are you saying he can see through the floor? I, I think his accuracy is a little bit better but then i'm thinking to the point where he missed her after he shot those darts at her (sighs) i'm rebuttaling my own statement (laughs) i'm glad you heard it (laughs) the only part i'm about to say i want to take away is i completely agree who the wants to stay overnight at a gymnasium to say goodbye Yeah. Nobody does this. Yeah. He-Man is searching nearby and hears Julie in distress. While the mercenaries search for Julie in a warehouse, He-Man attacks accompanying troops and saves Julie, while comrades Tila and her father, Man-at-Arms, chase the mercenaries away. Um, I'm going to skip the first thing there because there's too many other things to talk about here. Julie, <laughs> Julie trusts the half half naked man walking through the park. Okay. I was just saying, it's gotta be really cold out there. Kudos to him. And he's just walking around. Yeah, and why, why are Nobody the mercenaries retreating? They had he man and Julie cornered. Uh, outnumbered <laughs> outclassed is more like it. These mercenaries suck. They're the worst. Like this is the best Skeletor could come up with. I'm sorry, the best evil Lynn could come up with. I'm not going to put this on Skeletor. This was her group. Okay, thank you. Yes, 
apparently, that's why I think they should have had Trapjaw. Um, I thought that Blade versus He-Man was Obi-Wan versus Vader in Episode Four. That's how I'm not I even thought touch that, that duel went. I don't think so. No. <laughs> wow. No. That's. I would put that duel. That fight. I think I'm going to need some backup. <laughs> oh God, he's coming up. <laughs> and so, okay, so they're retreating, and then He-Man is cradling Julie in her arms. Yes. And he goes. Quickly, follow them. They have. A, they must have a way to return you. Oh my and God, you sounded just running. like Dolph Lundgren. And I was like, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that was amazing. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, if they have a doorway to Eternia, were they just going to bail on He-Man and just jump through? Or were they going to be like, all right, you're right. Now we'll go back. It's the Bifrost. I... It's, did they just want to know how they got there? How else do you think they got there? I, you know, <laughs> they knew he had a key. Which, which then goes to why are they there? Who's there? The why are the mercenaries there? To retrieve the key and bring it back. So does Skeletor care about He-Man? He wants him dead <laughs> so wouldn't well, we go back and he kill he i get into that later okay um what did we learn from the charlie scene that we didn't already know i mean nobody knows what it is got it well no charlie did know what it was well prior to a scene it, it was japanese we that that scene showed how intelligent charlie is in the music industry he thought it was a japanese synthesizer <laughs> i know that was a that was a it should have been a deleted scene ah, who, who cares why did we need to take it to the music store no. <laughs> no, this is one of those new japanese synthesizers <laughs> kevin's in wait a minute time out time out yeah so he kevin brings it to charlie and says do you know what this is he goes i've seen this before it's Japanese. And then he hits that button. And then in a couple scenes prior, he goes, oh, it must have been one of those Japanese synthesizers. Then why the hell did you bring it to Charlie if you already knew it? That's what I just said. What did we learn from the Charlie scene that we didn't already know? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Okay. Uh, Kevin's in terrible danger and he invites Julie along. Worst protector ever. Just, just send her ass home. It's about this big and I'm blinking lights. Wait, I have seen it. <laughs> Kevin has it. He's in terrible danger. Let's go. That was terrible acting. Yes. That was terrible acting. Even how he got up off the ground was terrible acting. Mm-hmm. Kevin <sighs> returns to the school, which has nearly been burnt down from the melee. The de detective on screen, or the, de the detective on scene, Lubick, takes Kevin to Julie's house to look for her. Okay. Principal Strickland, welcome to the show. Uh, I love this guy. This movie is proof that this guy will act in anything if the paycheck is right. <laughs> He's awesome. Did he just leave saying, keep the coffee hot? I mean, did someone bring a coffee maker to the crime scene? <laughs> it's a figure of speech. Jeez. Keep the coffee hot. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a long night. Now, uh, I mean, if you want to go with that philosophy, it says keep the coffee hot. It's going to be a long night. Is the night really going to be longer? 
No, it's not. No, no. It's a figure of speech. Okay, saying it's going to be a long night is one thing because that's. But keeping the coffee hot, that means somebody is bringing coffee. No, it doesn't mean that. So, fi- when have you ever said that? I I, I control my own coffee, so yeah, I, there I, we mean, go. I never say that because uh, did, never been put in that situation. Did Gwildor just show up with a wannabe DeLorean from the Back to the Future? It even makes the same fucking sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like. To me, it was like a pink Cadillac meets the DeLorean. He's even pressing buttons like it's the Back to the Future vehicle. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I was expecting the flux capacitor to be behind them. <laughs> the flux capacitor. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Tila on this scene. Yes. When they finally meet, and says, this is, uh, this is Tila and her father, Duncan. And they shake hands, and that's like an awkward thing. So apparently they don't shake hands in Eternia. They must but, have COVID-19 uh, there. Did you have any luck? Tila goes, or Ma- He-Man goes, did you have any luck? Tila goes, nutty. You, not, com- I'm sorry. <laughs> she goes, not, a, not, oh my God, I can't talk. That's because it's a hard line to deliver because it's poorly written. <laughs> it is. So Tila just says, says well, not a you. Not as much as you, apparently. Thank you. <laughs> and it's just like that little dig. And at, as soon as she said that, I saw Courtney Cox's face and her character, Julie's almost was like that. What did you just say? <laughs> I almost got that impression from. Her. Yeah. Although I'll be honest with you. I don't get the feeling he man's ever touched a woman in this movie. No, I don't think so either. He's just, he's all about the good. He's all about the fight. He's all he about the mission, right? He's all about the mission. He's captain America. He's a better Captain America. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> On their return to Castle Grayskull, Skeletor is infuriated by the mercenary's failure and destroys Sauron with an energy bolt. This time, with a larger force and evil Lynn, they return to Earth. Uh, are Skeletor and evil Lynn a thing? There is definite sexual tension. And, I mean, she gets off her knees. Yeah, yeah, she's on her knees right in front of him, and his legs are open. Yeah, and he's like holding her face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to dive too much into that. And these mercenaries are as incompetent as Karg's hairstylist. Oh, God. Cool. I, this is what I noticed. Karg has part of his wardrobe. He's got ruffles underneath his neck, like in the old Queen Elizabeth days. Oh, right, <laughs> right. He dresses up. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, yeah, Kar- Karg is, after watching this now, I almost put Karg and Sauron. Sauron? No. Sarad, sorry, <laughs> on the same page for their usefulness. Yeah, because Sarad didn't do anything in the last battle. No, he didn't. He's just a leader who doesn't know how to lead. Yeah. Uh, over the phone. Oh, by the way, every time I see Karg now, I think of Blanca from Street Fighter 2. <laughs> Mm, yes. Over the phone, Julie reveals to Kevin the importance of the cosmic key, but Lubick confiscates it from Kevin, suspecting it to be stolen. Wait, why would Julie be calling Kevin at her house? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. This that not... wasn't even my biggest gripe. Oh, well, what's yours? <laughs> my bigger gripe is, okay. You and the cop, Lubick, are trying to find – I mean, at, would you agree that at the school, Kevin, he was visibly distraught and pissed off that they didn't know where she was? Yes. He wanted to get her and know where she's at right away. So why the hell would you cover up finding Julie? <laughs> 
I mean, isn't that the whole motive right now? You just heard her in distress, and then you raid her fridge. <laughs> sticks a whole pot. Sticks a whole bucket of chicken in the microwave. <laughs> what a douche. <laughs> We get the golden age of payphones. <laughs> that hasn't aged well. Oh, yeah. Lubick doesn't think it's a synthesizer. Okay, well, what is it, Lubick? You've got a theory? Yeah, really. Evil Lynn uses a device that, when it's looked through, can show the events that already transpired here. Kind of like what Peter Quill uses on the planet Morag. Is it safe to say, because Peter Quill is a child of the 80s, that he may have seen Masters of the Universe and created this based off of this movie? I just love the fact that this is the second time we are relating the MCU to this movie. No, it's the third because I mentioned Wakanda also. <laughs> okay, the third time. Yeah. By the way, each time we've done it, we've shown how the MCU is much superior to this. <laughs> oh, I'll completely agree with you on that. Uh, Jesus, the stormtroopers even talk like Vader. It's difficult. <laughs> like something I've never seen before. Yes. A microwave. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I know you said earlier he puts a whole bucket of chicken. I guarantee even that bucket of chicken probably had styrofoam in it. Probably. You don't put styrofoam in there. That was the 80s. Yep. Uh, yeah, I did have a <laughs> – when he's cleaning up, you see the big-time Burger King. <laughs> I'm like – The old logo. placement every time. Yep. That's what I see. And then all of a sudden, Evil Lynn and her squadron <laughs> – finally come to the house yeah. because that's where the key was used and you see beast man blasting through this door then give this emphatic roar <laughs> kevin does a great job of being scared what he doesn't do is he tries to fight them by throwing a rag at the beast man <laughs> i mean he was in the kitchen there had to be a knife around something <laughs> And then they do this whole thing of questioning him, and then they're raiding the entire house. And Karg stumbles across this picture and presents it to Eva Lynn. Mm -hmm. This is the native girl who is helping Hema. And I'm like, he was so – that's like Karg's proudest moment. I know. And even after she hands off, he kind of goes like, yeah, I did something like, good. Skeletal won't kill me now. <laughs> yeah. He's like, brownie point. <laughs> And then they get on their flying mini version of Jabba's palace and <laughs> <laughs> they fly over and then you see the car just down the street. Yep. This has always pissed me off. How the hell did they not see this thing <laughs> flying in the air over the street? I mean, you can count maybe three, four seconds till they get to the same exact. So how do you not see that? I don't know. I, 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 I there's too it much to question. It's almost like if they had just extended the time in making this movie a little bit longer, they might have been able to answer some of these in reshoots. Unfortunately, the director had his hand tied a lot. And you can see where. It's like Alien yes. 3. When He-Man and company arrive at the desolate house, Julie and Kevin decide to lead the Eternians to where Lubick has taken the key, a music store where Kevin had been to earlier on. Okay, if Lubick knows it's not a synthesizer, then why is he taking it to a music store? <laughs> because I get, I, I can't remember the script if Kevin had mentioned that he'd taken it to Charlie. And I, yeah, that, it just seemed pretty stupid to take it back there again. Yeah. 
Again, uh, what is Charlie bringing to the table? Zero. Uh, when he okay, so a battle ensues in the music store with He-Man and Man at Arms holding the Centurions back, while Gwildor attempts to open a doorway back to Eternia. During the confusion, however, Evil Lynn is masqueraded as Julie's mother, who was supposed to have perished in a plane crash. While Lubick, Kevin, and Gwildor argue, Julie is persuaded to steal the key for her mother and doesn't realize the deception until it's too late. Evil Lynn and the others pull out, and He-Man gives chase. But then another doorway opens and this time it's Skeletor himself who arrives on earth this battle needs a woman's touch shoots three times kills three guys smiles at the camera woman at arms are you fucking kidding me (laughs) the movie is he-man you weren't the focus sweetheart (laughs) this was a captain marvel moment oh god this is the fourth time we've related the mcu yes Woman at arms. Why are you bringing this up? I already respected her as a soldier. Right. I didn't need to. Was this to bring in the female audience as though Dolph Lundgren's abs aren't going to? Yeah. And I mean, they already did that in the very beginning of the movie when he's fighting the uh, generic robots. Yes. Where they zoom in on his pectorals. (sighs) So, yeah, I don't know why. Her her mother... Her mother looks the same age as her. <laughs> Falling for the old my dead parent is back from the dead and there's nothing suspicious here trick, huh? Okay. This is the biggest gripe I've always had in the entire movie. Julie is a fucking dumbass. Yes. She is. I hated Kevin. I think she officially takes that mantle away from him for believing that her mom just automatically just magically just shows up and everything's back together. I know. I I, hate it when the movies do this. I hate, 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 hate this part of the movie. Although this scene is redeemed if Evil Lynn then says, fooled you. (laughs) I mean, she didn't even think about, I mean, Julie's like, oh my gosh, like she didn't go. There's something screwy here. Did Spaceballs take that from this movie to parody? (laughs) Of course I'm your father. Would I lie? Oh, it could have. Gwildor just said Kevin, Lubick, and Charlie are acting like cartoons. Does Gwildor know what a cartoon is? Uh, I think this might have been a dig. I don't know. Okay. I, I didn't. Even Ironically enough, Gwildor's not even in the fucking cartoon, so that's funny. Oh, uh, that is hilarious. Yeah, Lubick <laughs> should have ran after those stormtroopers yelling "slackers." <laughs> when Lubick gets shot up, so please nobody move, <laughs> and he gets shot up, and looks it up and says, "Holy shit!" That was one of the best holy shits I think I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like, oh, all right. <laughs> Uh, it, was, it was hilarious. I know you're a fan of entrances. Skeletor, nice entrance, but Thanos did it better. <laughs> oh, I agree. He didn't need a an entourage with him. He just kind of walked in with this freaking gauntlet that wasn't even all powerful yet. But that wasn't even the part that always stuck with me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you noticed it, but is it me? Or when he's coming through, it sounds like the troops are whistling the theme song. I didn't catch it. But I trust you because you are a fan, fan, fan of this movie. Please go back and watch that scene. Um, <laughs> and I know I'm asking a lot. <laughs> hoverboards. And is Skeletor is, is Skeletor's throne eerily similar to the Emperor's, just orange? Are we sure this wasn't a film for a, from a 13-year-old fanboy? Yeah. 
Is there anything I, original in this movie at all? <laughs> hey, they did not rip off Star Wars. It came from the director. <laughs> I almost feel like if you read an idiot. I almost feel like like did you actually see like him saying that? Did he wink to the camera at all when he said it? Oh yeah, it was that was part of the behind the scenes where I got that from. There was a little eleven minute video and he yeah. actually says that. Says, we did not rip off Star Wars. But he doesn't wink at the camera, so he's being serious. <laughs> yeah, he was being serious. Yeah, he's stupid. It reminds me but of I... Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back when Chris Rock sees the lightsaber battle and goes, George Lucas is going to sue somebody. Yeah, really. I think I don't think that was a director saying that. I think that was Cannon and Mattel saying that. Ah, uh, While the Centurions march down the deserted street, He-Man uses a stolen hoverboard to swoop in and take the key back from Evil Lynn's grasp. But Skeletor has surrounded his friends, including Julie and Kevin, and sets a trap for He-Man. Despite the overwhelming numbers, He-Man still fights off the troops until Skeletor delivers his ultimatum. Either He-Man surrenders and becomes his slave, or he will kill He-Man's friends. With no choice but to surrender, He-Man leaves and returns with Skeletor, while the others are left to rot on Earth. Worse still, Julie was injured by Skeletor's poisonous magic, and the second key was damaged beyond repair. Okay, the second key is damaged. It's over, right? Yeah. So does he need He-Man? He-Man can't come back if he's stranded on Earth. Well... Let's go back. When Evil Lynn was on her knees, <laughs> she wa- Skeletor says, He-Man, if I kill him, I make him a saint, a martyr. No, I want him broken. He wants to break He-Man. He wants to kill him, but he wants to kill him slowly, and he wants to break anything part of, his, uh, of him whatsoever. Okay, Skeletor, you just turned into every James Bond villain out there. Yeah, probably. (laughs) What did you think of He-Man on a hoverboard? (laughs) I have no words. Here are some other things I thought I would never say. Arnold Schwarzenegger on a unicycle. Bruce Willis in ballerina shoes. The Rock filmed an intimate love scene. Those are all the things I would think I could say also at this point. I think that covers it for right now. Uh, He-Man on a hoverboard is the dumbest f***ing thing in this movie. Because... He defies gravity when he's on it. Well, and I thought about that because when he goes up, are you talking about the scene where he goes upside down? Yeah, well, he goes upside now, down, but also when he first takes off, he goes at a 45-degree angle. He should have slipped right off the fucking thing. Now, I, now, see, we don't know a whole lot about these hoverboards. We're, 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 we're putting Earth technology on Eternian technology here that could do something where it does something to strap your body onto this thing so you can make all of these moves. You don't know that. If you don't explain it, you can't defend it. Well, well, you can't argue with it then. That'd be like you trying to tell me that Fury's vehicle has super serum in it. I believe we talked about that. I know. That's why I brought it up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It seems like the only reason He-Man and his friends keep eluding the Centurions is because the Centurions keep backing off. Yeah, I don't... That was a weird scene. (laughs) It was... When they first see the Centurions, the Centurions. Yeah. Sorry. They're shooting at this guy who's coming towards them, but the scene was shot so poorly because I don't know if they were using, (laughs) I don't know if there was green screen or anything else of all, but it's almost like they took two completely different shots and just threw them together and spliced them. It just looked terrible. Um, So yeah, I don't know what's going on with that scene, but there was some good things that I thought I liked about this scene. And that was um, 
you mentioned Skeletor's flying ship. Now, I noticed on there that there was, um, and I never noticed it before, that the chair that he sit on has snakes on it, like cobras. And I like the fact that they finally were starting to draw back to Snake Mountain. And this was even before when Gwildor finally says Snake Mountain. So I really liked the look of his transport when he comes onto Earth. You didn't think it was too Emperor? Oh, it was, but it was his Emperor's, <laughs> but with a Skeletor's own little twist. Okay. Um, what I didn't like <laughs> was how does Evil Lynn not have a decent grip on this cosmic key? <laughs> she pretty much just lets go. Yeah. And then she cries about it. Like an obnoxious, no! I, I have no words, Steve. At I this at like this her. point, you can see this is where they ran out of money, and they were like, "Just finish this thing." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Rock- going back to going back to Skeletor, yep, I did go like ahead. the fact that he Skeletor really gets to the point. Throw down your weapons. Or you die. <laughs> Mad at arm, the senior, the veteran army guy goes, yep, here you go. No there problem. you go. <laughs> he gets it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then it's yeah, he he's going to have them all rot on Earth. It seems like their lives actually might be better there than on Eternia. Skelecourt, he kind of did him a favor, Steve. Yeah. I, <laughs> but it's your home. Why don't you want to go to your home? Because... Skeletor runs it now. You, you now you're in a place where Skeletor is not running it. You're good. Well, that's like saying that, that's like, and you've got barbecue ribs. Well, they tasted good. Yeah, but it's that, that would be like if some of the rebellion just said, you know what, I'm better off not fighting the good fight. They they had that rebellion type mentality where they wanted to continue because they knew they were fighting for good, and they wanted to overtake. Skeletor. Okay. Because that was the right thing to do. Do you know what the rebellion wouldn't do though? Drop they wouldn't drop their guns the minute that somebody says so. <laughs> well, they were really completely outnumbered. Again, live to fight another day. <sighs> okay. Let's talk about Skeletor. That dude just shot lightning from his hand like the Emperor, but it was red, so I guess that's the difference. I guess I guess didn't catch the color. It was red, wasn't it? Yeah. Not the red, purple, whatever. Yeah. There's the difference. Yeah, <laughs> save save our copyright. <laughs> yeah, and I I'm I mean you do that, but I think Skeletor was just so awesome at this scene because he man when he throws down his swords he says this is our fight I don't want innocent people to die <laughs> and Skeletor that was his goes, third reading of the line too <laughs> yeah, it, it was because his accent was bad <laughs> and. I love Skeletor. He just he kind of looks over and kind of turns his head and goes, kind of rolls his eyes. He goes, well said, he met. How noble. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> that is what every audience probably member thought of when Dolph Lundgren delivered that line. <laughs> on how cheesy he was. Yeah, okay, good job, buddy. <laughs> uh, and then he takes He-Man as his slave. Yeah. It's kind of kinky. It's kind of kinky. And stupid. Again. <laughs> stupid. You won, dude. Why oh, won. not just kill He-Man? If he's the only thing that's going to stop you, kill him. He wants to destroy He-Man. He doesn't want to kill him. He wants to destroy him. He wants to kill and destroy every part of his essence, his being, because, again, if I kill him, I make him a saint, a martyr. No, I want him broken. 
Oh, He-Man, how you vex me! Skeletor wants He-Man to betray everybody that He-Man, that everybody that follows He-Man. Skeletor can't keep focus on the prize. No, he is not focused on the mission. He's a bad representation of Cap. I can't wait to hear your villain's analysis here. <laughs> um, where are all the cops in this town? Slowest response ever. Flavor Flav is right. 911 is a joke in yo town. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. You see this ensemble and this huge entire cluster going on, and it's funny. Because you know they blocked off part of the town to film this scene. Right. And I noticed it yesterday when I was watching it, that if you look clear in the distance, you still see cars going by as the traffic is continuing on. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a car that stops and you see the headlights and they turn and they turn left. Yep, <laughs> just, like, yep. just like nothing's going on over here. <laughs> uh, back at Castle Grayskull, Skeletor prepares for the great eye to open and receive ultimate power while torturing He-Man and demanding him to kneel before he is killed. So he's going to kill him. Eventually. He will. Oh, Jesus Christ. This guy's hot. Like, I can imagine some of his stormtrooper guards sitting there going, how has this guy not won or not lost yet? He is a try. He wants to torture and dismantle the essence of He-Man. And if you just kill him and just wipe your hands with it, there's there, there's no satisfaction in that. Again, that's kind of why I think I bring up. I think there's a little, a little sexual tension between Skeletor and He-Man. Well, I would believe that then. <laughs> <laughs> so when Skeletor, when they finally get back. Yeah. And he's marching down the throne room. Again, that is a long walk, but he walks like a boss. And then he grabs his staff and they zoom in on this character, Pig Boy. <laughs> this is a like a cult famous character in this film. Yes. There is an actual story behind that because they zoom in on him. Oh, I so, know what it is. Go ahead and tell it. Masters of the Universe, they had this contest. I can't remember exactly what it was for, what they had to do. But if you win, you get a cameo appearance in the film. And apparently this little kid won. Well, during production, when really started to hit the fan and they ran out of time and they ran out of money, they're like, oh, crap, we need to get this kid in here. We made a promise to this little sweet Johnny Timmy boy. What are we going to do? They put him in a costume <laughs> and Skeletor rips the staff out of him. Almost pretty much looks like he's knocking him down. And then that was it. Mm -hmm. So that is the story of pig boy. Poor little pig boy. Poor kid. Poor kid. And this is a scene. This is where Frank starts to really make his money. I like how you're on a first he, name basis with him now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, I, I this is where Frankie. I felt, <laughs> I, he totally, he's just an amazing actor in this. And he totally takes over the, char the, the character. Well, you know why he delivers those lines so well, right? Mm, let's he just was, say I don't. He was the only person on set that was allowed to improvise his lines. Oh, I agree with that. They so basically he's rewriting it as he's, as he's doing this. And you know what? With his background and his knowledge and his expertise, they all probably said, let him. They're probably like, you Just have to let, let him. him. Otherwise, we lose our only actor in this film. <laughs> yeah, really. And so I don't know if this is the part where they start whipping him. Yeah, it is. With, 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 Evil with Wonder Woman's whip? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Evelyn, they kind of go to her a couple of times, and she gives this eye, like, 
oh, I know this. Oh yeah, yeah. She's again the she's, sexual tension on there, and she, I think she, honestly, there's, a, there's some BDSM going on in Skeletor's boudoir. Oh, there totally is. There totally <laughs> is. Meanwhile, Gwildor attempts to repair the key, but explains that the tones needed were erased. Kevin goes back to the music store, takes a keyboard which he can use to create the tones and open the portal. Just at that moment, Skeletor becomes all powerful. Not exactly. Comparing his new status to a god's, a very weak one, the portal opens and the final battle begins. Okay, Steve, explain this to me. So is it the tones or the key? If all the key components are the tones, why didn't a portal open before this during one of the many sessions of goofing on a keyboard? I don't know. And you know what? The tones that he whistles. Yeah. Where it says, that's it, that's it. Those aren't even the same tones that they play on the goddamn keyboard at the time. (laughs) I like they're, they're like, you remember it? Well, I've heard it a couple times. Anybody who hears a song a couple times remembers it. <laughs> it was catchy. I was going to put it in one of my songs. Yeah, it's not a real gift. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Yeah. I ah, Do again. it. Say it. it. He goes back to Skeletor and they zoom in when they say, <laughs> the moon rises at its apex. And he goes, and they did that close up of Skeletor. With his face going in and out of the light. It looks so good. Delivers this great line. And then the cloth nose is up there again, zoomed in. It's almost like it looks like a freaking microphone. Okay, Steve, uh, I want to give you the floor here to do the monologue. Okay. I, I'm going to turn you this... up and turn me off. <laughs> this monologue is... I. I I had it. I have it saved on my phone on YouTube. Just this monologue, because I I have it pretty much almost memorized. How many times I've seen it, and it's when the eye opens. He goes, "Now I, Skeletor, am master of the universe." Then the little these orbs come out of nowhere and just go all around him, and he goes, "It's I feel it. The power chills me." Yes, I am at one with the cosmos. I feel its energy flows, flows through me. Uh, But what consequence are you now? This planet, these people, they are nothing to me. The universe is power, pure, unstoppable power. And I am that force. I am that power. Kneel before your master. Fool, you are no longer my equal. I am more than man, more than light. I am a god. (laughs) I love it. And scene. (laughs) Oh, and then it gets ruined. Oh, my God. It gets ruined. Then, okay, he gets a helmet. That thing's got to be 50 pounds. <laughs> and then, yeah. then, then Canon Films walks in and says, okay, guys, turn off the lights. <laughs> it really is. It, it... Okay. Uh, Lubick, Kevin, Man-at-Arms, and Tila all fight off the Centurions from behind cover while He-Man breaks free from his chains and recovers his sword. Skeletor and He-Man clash swords and engage in combat. During the fight, He-Man breaks Skeletor's staff and his new powers and godlike status vanish. He-Man tells the weakened Skeletor... So apparently... (laughs) 
Does anything, is there anything consistent in this movie? <laughs> He-Man tells the weakened Skeletor that it's over. I'm probably, he probably says, Skeletor, it's over. But his enemy draws a hidden sword and lunges at He-Man. The fight continues, but He-Man manages to knock Ske- the Emperor down a huge pit that surrounds the throne room. <laughs> It's a death like the Emperor, Steve. I got it. Literally nothing original about this guy. <laughs> God, the logistics of him after he pulls his sword off is freaking stupid because he walks towards the pit and then turns his back. And then he gets dinged and then jumps off because he doesn't fall. He doesn't get knocked over. He jumps. Yeah. And that was the stunt double because, Frank, you know, Frank wasn't doing that. Right, he did right, his right. job already. But when he's falling down the pit, don't you expect to see like – Blue waves flying up like the Emperor. Oh, yeah. Oh, it is exactly <laughs> like that. But then again, we did not rip off Star Wars. Okay, so now, now let me clear here. He-Man says, I have the power in this scene. Mm-hmm. But that's supposed to turn Prince Adam into He-Man. He's been He-Man all along. Did he not have the power then? What the hell? I think this is what happened. I don't know what sequential order, because you know in movies, they don't film everything in order with what you see you know sometimes they shoot the ending first and yeah i don't right. know how they done it but i feel like toward they towards the end of production and they're like oh crap we need to start wrapping this up we haven't even used the main words yet <laughs> and they had to throw them in and they had to put them in somewhere and what better part than when he finally gets his sword out of this piece of crap contraption like what does that thing do what does that thing that he put the sword at, does it draw power? No, it's the, it's the Bifrost. It's the sword of Grayskull. That's the Bifrost. Does it lock? It's Heimdall's bri- Bifrost. <laughs> uh, does it lock the sword in there? Because I'll tell you, I mean, unless they're just trying to emphasize how strong it is, how strong He-Man is, he rips his sword out, and it looks like the world's cheap, cheapest piece of plastic that just crumbles. And he rips the sword and says, I have the power... And then Skeletor's like, no, the lights. Ugh, I can't see. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Okay. A little rewriting, if you will, of this. Wouldn't it have made better sense if when they go to Earth, when they're transported to Earth, he loses his He-Man power and he's now Prince Adam? You've now created Thor. Exactly. The fish out of water scene. Yes. But there were already fishes out of water. <laughs> I mean, not on Eternia. No, not on Eternia. No, not when, when they're on Earth. Right, but to blend in, he 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 becomes Adam. Well, what they should have done was do, they should have taken Gwildor's advice when Gwildor comes in at the music store and says, "Look, made of clothing. If we dress like this, nobody will recognize us." Or even better, <laughs> he loses his sword when he travels to Earth, and next time he sees it is in Skeletor's thing when it's in the thing and then he grabs he goes i have the power and he turns into he-man and you're like yes this is what i've been waiting for or it's like trapped in a stone (laughs) nobody can lift it besides he-man like it's almost like he's the only one worthy almost arthurian (laughs) (laughs) after he-man's victory julie is healed by the sorceress and along with kevin says goodbye before leaving through a doorway back to earth oh i'm sorry it's not goodbye good journey <laughs> yeah really um i forgot to mention a scene oh. and i was back during 
the uh, the onslaught melee in the throne room. Mm-hmm. First off, these stormtroopers are freaking stupid. And yes, I'm calling them stormtroopers <laughs> um, because their their tactics on gunfare is absolutely idiotic. So they're shooting at these people and then they drop to the floor in the wide open and continue to shoot. Yes. And there's always a delay when they get hit, (laughs) then they get hit back. Yeah. So it's so stupid. But again, I think Lubick almost steals the scene again (laughs) when he gets pissed off and slackers. Yeah. And he just goes off on it. And then, they enter the throne room because they use the cosmic key to get back into the throne room. And then Gwilder's like, we did it. And Lubick goes, what the hell's going on here? And all these stormtroopers turn. And he just goes, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, never mind. That is a better holy shit. That one's better. <laughs> it just looked like he just shit his pants hardcore. <laughs> and again, Strickland kind of steals the scene there. Yep. But, uh, but going back to what you said earlier, it's not goodbye, it's good journey. Yeah, I never did like that. But a little, a little part of me was like, this is the nice happy end. I, I, I didn't really like He-Man's mullet. <laughs> you did? And, uh, no, yeah, he had a terrible mullet. You know, it's probably the bowl strength. cut he had in the, uh, in the cartoon. It's a mullet, dude. Okay, all right. <laughs> and then Gwildor asks, Julie and Kevin, would you like me to send you back in time? I could send you back to anywhere you want to go into the future or the past or anything like that. No, no, no. We just need to get back. Blah, blah, blah. Why would you not take him up on that offer? I mean, with everything that you know, you can do some massive sports betting and do something big. Well, maybe they do because the ending asserts that they may have gone back in time. Well, I think they did. And I think Gwildor, and this is what's stupid about this whole scene is that they clearly said, no, we want to get you back. But Gwilder right. says, you know what? I know what's best for you. Yeah. I'm going to do it without you even knowing. Then why ask? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Lubick, who is hailed as a hero for his part in the battle <laughs> and met a beautiful Eternian woman, decides to stay in Eternia. I'm sorry. No. Nope. I'm done. It, it, you know what? When he's sitting down there, he looks like he's a general or almost a military right-hand man to the sorceress. That's a smart move, in my opinion, if he's got nothing left on Earth. He could have been this single cop living in a crap hole apartment. He know, better be, or abandon a family he may have had here. <laughs> exactly. So I think you got to go to the assumption that that's what was going on. He, he kind of had a, he had a, I got a castle. You know, I got all this. I got a beautiful woman. Huh? <laughs> Uh, when Julie awakens in her bed, she finds her parents downstairs alive and well about to take their fateful flight. Julie stops them from leaving and finds Kevin who confirms their shared experiences was not a dreamed and holds out a souvenir from Eternia, a blue marble sized sphere showing the image of He-Man in front of the castle Grayskull, holding up his sword above his head, pointing up yelling, I have the power. Yeah. Uh, did, did Julie get her nightgown from her grandmother? <laughs> Well, this was them keeping her that wholesome, goody-goody girl. Okay. I guess so. I don't know. It was Time travel, I dream. I, what the hell just happened? I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And you know what? When they travel through the door, yeah, 
every time they do that, they literally are walking through a door and walk through onto the other side. Just like when He-Man and Gwildor and Man-at-Arms and Tila all get thrown into some marsh pit somewhere when they first arrive on Earth. But for some reason, it's different here. Maybe that was just, that's how the time travel part works? Maybe. I guess, I don't know. And how the hell did Kevin know <laughs> that her parents were still alive? Another thing I want to know. <laughs> I mean, it's not like it says, you know, how did he figure it out so quick? I mean, we're talking mere minutes. Yep. Yep. And then, of course. Yeah, I know. They zoom in. The music swells. You see the castle in the background. I have the power. Yes. I love it. I'm glad somebody does. Okay. After the credits roll, Skeletor's head pops out of the pink liquid at the bottom of the pit that he was thrown into and says, I'll be back. Okay, we're going to throw one more ripoff in here. Terminators, I'll be back. Got it. Now, you mentioned before, is this one of the first uh, post-credit scenes? It's actually not. Post-credit started in 1968 with Night of the Living, Living Dead. Then in 1979, the Muppet movie had a post-credit scene. And in 1980, Airplane had a post-credit scene. So it has been done before. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I no you, you had me thinking about that, actually. Uh, when I was watching, I was like, oh, I know he keeps mentioning it. This is one of the first ones, and is this where Marvel may have gotten it, their idea? And it may have been an inspiration considering the other movies, but it's been done before. So yeah, yeah, this was... And I didn't even know about this, I think, until my umpteenth time viewing it, where I think I just happened to leave the tape in. And I'm, then after the credits roll, it's just, you see that pink water, I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and then a green Skeletor pops up. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll be back. I'm like, oh, what? And they never made a sequel. Oh, don't worry. I'll talk about the sequel in my critics uh, grade. I can understand why due to budget concerns, but. Uh. Okay. So according to the top credits at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter reading of 13%. One fresh review, seven rotten. The critics on average gave this film a 3.75 out of 10. Now, instead of reading the critics consensus, I'm going to go straight to the audience score. Uh, that was a, the audience gave it a 2.9 out of 5 with 40% agreeing it's a 3 or higher. But I've dug up some research. Okay. Here are the reviews for this movie. Now, this is the one good one. Everyone knows how the battles will turn out. It's what's between them that raises Masters of the Universe ever so slightly above the mediocre. (laughs) Okay, that was the good one. Here are the gems. From Desmond Ryan. With Masters of the Universe, the latest numbskull entertainment from the creators of Castle Grayskull, He-Man makes the transition from animation to live action. Taking a live actor along for the ride might have helped. (laughs) Uh, from michael wilmington a misfiring underdone epic that takes its inspiration not from life or literature but from a toy line and the cartoon series it inspired not so harshly 
Uh, from Bob Morris, if nothing else, we can probably thank Lundgren for ensuring that there will be no more Rambo movies in the near future because he has obviously depleted the world supply of body grease. Oh, God. <laughs> from Variety, the result is a colossal bore. From Mark Salisbury, there are lots of flashes and bangs, but the effects are neither special nor camp enough to be more than vaguely amusing. From Walter Goodman, their weapons make a 4th of July sparkler show, but they almost never hit anybody. <laughs> they do. And that reminds me of the very, very beginning after the beginning credits where there's like this little mini spark explosion <laughs> and then it transitions into Eternia. And my favorite one of all, Rita Kempley. Little kids at play have come up with craftier plots, better characterization, and conceivably more spectacular effects, provided their mothers let them play with matches. <laughs> <laughs> but the movie's over, Steve. Were you entertained? <laughs> uh, hell, yes, I was. Uh <laughs> It's still fun to watch. I, after I watched this movie, I came back to go to bed, and my wife was still up watching her show. And I was just like, I did a little dance. I was like, the movie's so still, still cool. <laughs> I still like it. <laughs> what um, did you think? I was very entertained for all the wrong reasons. Um, I was going to say this earlier, but when I was watching this, I was on my balcony, and I was doing my notes on, on there also. And I'm watching it, and I'm laughing out loud probably waking up my neighbors because it was like, you know, pretty early in the morning. But I had a ball watching this simply because of how ridiculous it was. Oh, that's, uh, that's like uh, your opinion, man. There it is. <laughs> Put that on the bingo card. Okay. Did the awards get it right? Well, at the Academy Awards, it was nominated for Nothing. Um, at the Golden Globes, sorry, we're not ready for Masters of the Universe yet. MTV was barely a thing, but at the Saturn Awards, Steve, it was nominated for four awards. Mm -hmm. It was nominated for Best Costume, but it lost to The Princess Bride. Thoughts? <laughs> uh, I agree. I think Princess Bride should have won. It's that. It, that's almost a period piece? Uh, I don't know. It's fantasy. It is, yeah. but it's... Okay. Okay. It was nominated for Best Science Fiction Film, but it lost to RoboCop. I gotta give it to RoboCop. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> it lost... It was nominated for Best Special Effects, but it also lost to RoboCop. Ed 209 is still awesome to watch. Oh. Yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah, I agree with that. And then it won the Silver Scroll Award for Outstanding Achievement, Gary Goddard for Masters of the Universe. Now I've looked this up. No one can tell me who wins the Silver Scroll Award or what that actually means. I've I've tr I spent a good 10, 20 minutes trying to find out where the Silver Scroll Award is. No one can give me a rubric for what it takes to get this thing. Wow, I think. Well, maybe it's just for the utmost patience as a director with what he has to deal with. <laughs> well, and Steve, we have ourselves a Razzie nomination. Oh, yeah. Billy Barty, the man who played Gwildor, was nominated for a Razzie for Worst Supporting Actor, <laughs> but he lost to David Mendenhall in Over the Top. 
But funny thing about that is Michael Caine is in that group also for Jaws the Revenge. Now, do you remember what Michael Caine said about filming Jaws the Revenge? No, didn't even know he was in it. Yes, he said, somebody asked him, uh, how when they were asking about his acting pedigree, they're like, well, how do you explain Jaws the Revenge? And he goes, I've never seen it, but it paid for my beach house. <laughs> so uh, there's a raggy right there. All right. <clears throat> On to our next segment titled Top 3, <laughs> Bottom 3. This is where we talk about the three things we want to highlight in this movie, and then we go over the three things that are bad, unforgivable, or downright travesties. Let's start with the top three. Do you want to go first or second, Steve? I'll go second. Okay. So my number three is the amount of homages in this movie make me appreciate all of those movies even more. (laughs) My number two is anytime Lubick is on the screen, I believe he's in a different movie, one I want to watch. Yeah, I agree with that, yeah. (laughs) And my number one... Dolph Lundgren has a good He-Man body. Yes. If this is a silent film, he's (laughs) (laughs) He-Man. Okay, Steve, what are your top three? (laughs) Yeah, mine are too different from yours. Uh, (laughs) Lubick is hilarious. I love him. The holy shit moments are awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, Dolph Lundgren might not have liked being in this film, but he did make a good He-Man at the time. Yes. I I don't think they're... Off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody else who could have played it better. I mean, I don't either. Stallone, no. Too small. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of the action figures. Then Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger, no. Too big. He was already Conan. Yeah. Um, but my number one, I think it's pretty obvious, <laughs> is Frank Langella and him taking over Skeletor. Uh, he took over his character from the makeup to the costumes. He had everything to do with Skeletor at the end of the day. He puts on an acting clinic at multiple points in the movie, and his speeches and monologues are just amazing to watch. I love every part of it. There you go. Any, any, and you know what? That's a Langella only thing. I mean, because it wasn't written that way for the most part. It sounds like. No, they, and I think that's why it was so good on his part because they let him do what he wanted because they had the utmost respect for him. So. I like that. If anything, people can say this about Masters of the Universe. They, whenever people talk about this movie, they always talk about Frank Langella. They never talk about anything else in this movie. They just say, he's good in this. Yeah, and I think, you know, I don't want to knock the director too much of because he did, probably did make some bonehead decisions in this film. But one of the things that he said in, his, um, in the featurette was he wanted to take this movie and make Skeletor the focal point. This was his movie. And the fact that when they brought in Frank Langella, I can't think of anybody else more perfect for that role to take over the entire movie. And then, and it's technically all about He-Man, the masters of the universe, you know, but it was perfect that, you know, they, this was Skeletor's movie more than anybody's. All right, let's move on to the bottom three. It's time to vent. I'll go first again. In my go number ahead. three, uh, this movie is 90% different from the TV show. It is no wonder it didn't make any money at the box office. Kids who loved action figures and the TV show got a nearly total departure from what they love in this movie. Uh, My number two, Julie falling for the dead mom being alive bit. (sighs) I know. And my number one, Skeletor's plan has more redundancies than any I've seen in a villain before. (laughs) I... Steve, uh, I, Steve, I, what are your three? Uh, th- there should have been more Eternia. 
Yes. I would have liked to see even all of it. Why even go to Earth? That should have been <laughs> saved for like the sequel. Like Beastmaster 2. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they should have stayed on Eternity the entire time. Okay. Uh, my number two, uh, and I'm a huge proponent of this. Yes, uh, you are. The, the music sucks. <laughs> I have nothing left to say. And this is a guy who did the Rocky movies. Yep. <laughs> the music just sucks. And my number one, I think it kind of goes with your number three, the lack of original characters. Yeah. Yeah. They should have had Trap Jaw was one was a huge, huge villain. I think uh Battle Cat. Yeah. You know, I, I I gave my rationale and my acceptance for not having Orko. And I was I'm I, I can live with that. I'm okay with it. But I think they should have had other um other original actors from the I think so also from the yeah. cartoon. That would have helped out with what you said earlier as People taking away something from this film. Kids like to see the things that they've played with on the screen. And when you put a bunch of things there, they're like, oh, this is another unique character, but you'll never play with it. Yeah, and that makes sense because I think we talk, we've talked about that on other times on why Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 didn't do too I well. was going to bring that up, but I'm glad that you did. Because <laughs> we were used to seeing Bebop and Rocksteady, but we got two. Toka and Reza. <laughs> We don't get Bebop and Rocksteady until the rebooted number two movie. Yes. Okay. Critics rating. <laughs> <laughs> we use an A to F scale here on the movie planet. A C is considered average. A is the highest. F is the lowest. If the movie is so bad, it receives Fs from all the hosts. It goes to a new category of movie, the movie planet global killer, a category of movie where you can watch it ironically and have an amazing time at how bad it is. So the question is by today's standards, what do we give Masters of the Universe in the epic fantasy feature film genre? Do you want to go first or second, Steve? Well, I did nominate this movie. Okay. And I feel I want to have the final say. I think you should have the final say. Okay. Okay, so I'll go. Here we go. Yes, sir. Mind if I mute you for a second? Go right ahead, buddy. All right. So the floor is yours. Okay. Masters of the Universe is a mile marker movie. It represents an important time in cinematic history. Its imprint in helping mold the movie business is undeniable. I mean, after all, Masters of the Universe, in concert with Superman IV, The Quest, of Pe Quest for Peace, contributed to the eventual closure of canon films. That's right, kid. We just spent the better part of two hours talking about a movie that was so bad it killed a production company. How bad was this failure? Believe it or not, Canon intended on making a sequel to this to help save the studio. The movie was to be called Masters of the Universe 2 Cyborg. Supposedly, it would have He-Man returning to Earth to battle Skeletor and leaving it a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Trapjaw and She-Ra were going to be in it. Dolph wouldn't be returning, but they wanted professional surfer Laird Hamilton to replace him. Best part? He-Man would have returned to Earth disguised as a professional quarterback. And the budget for the movie was set at $4.5 million. That's right, 25% of the original's budget. Now, the movie never got off the ground because Canon wouldn't pay Mattel. So all the costumes and sets went to a different low-budget sci-fi film, Cyborg. This movie was made four years after the TV show was canceled. 
Now let's talk about how bad this movie is. The narration at the beginning of this movie lays the rules of the movie universe we're about to get invested in, and within five minutes, the rules are thrown out, which negates the need for a narration at the beginning. Thanks for Rogue wanting us. Skeletor might be more incompetent than the aforementioned Justin Hammer. If Hammer was in this movie, he'd have realized he'd already won at the beginning. Skeletor's motivation seems less about winning and more about wagging his dick in He-Man's face. And as cool as Frank Langella is a Skeletor, where is Skeletor's whiny voice? It was kind of a defining feature of his. And speaking of ridiculous characters that work better as drawings than fully realized live-action figures, He-Man... Perfect characterization. However, where is Prince Adam, his alter ego? He was kind of a big deal in the cartoon. And where's his cat Cringer, who turns into Battle Cat when he turns into He-Man? For God's sakes, that was in the opening credits of the TV show. You had Man-at-Arms. Okay, where's Many Faces? Instead, you give us a bunch of jabronis who, as mercenaries, the only one of note is Beast Man. Where is King Randor? Where's Orko? Don't you dare tell me Gwildor is supposed to be a stand-in because I needed the little weird guy in the long red nighty with the big O on it. And where is Eternia? Is anything in this movie outside of two leads in concert with the TV show? The special effects and action in this movie are laughable, and this movie is constantly plagiarizing other movies from its musical cues to its scripted lines to action on the screen. Yes, this movie did hoverboards before Back to the Future 2 in 1990. But damn, when the fuck did we ever see hoverboards in Eternia in the original series? If I was a kid who was a fan of He-Man when it was on TV, and I saw there was a movie coming out called Masters of the Universe, my first thought would be, wait, is it He-Man in the Masters of the Universe? Then when I saw the trailer, I'd be wondering even more if this movie is just He-Man running around California. No wonder it didn't make any money. Kids can smell bullshit from a mile away when it comes to what they revere. Now, four years after the show was canceled, after running 130 episodes, they had a chance to run the nostalgia game and get that money. Instead, they did a fish-out-of-water story, which was never a part of He-Man. This movie is the reason why studios took a shot with Super Mario Brothers. After all, it couldn't be as bad as He-Man, right? Yeah, and we got another movie that should have been done better and probably could have if it took place in the Mushroom Kingdom. But the studio knew better and wanted to save a buck. Well, that movie was dog shit too. There's only one movie, only one other movie that I've given an F to, and it was Alien 3. Even Solo got a D- minus out of me. But it's in the Pantheon because our average grade kept it at an F. Well, this movie is an F. It's an F in the epic fantasy genre. It's an F in the movie genre. It's an F in the Dolph Lundgren's career genre. If It's an F in Frank Langella's career. It's an F for this podcast. That's right. This movie is so bad, you can have an amazing time watching it and laughing with your friends about all the things that are hysterically bad in this movie. It's a movie so bad, it's great. F. Steve, your final say, sir. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> uh, okay. But I'm just one person, so I, Steve may I have a different opinion. I understand. Okay. I'm going to just, like, pick myself off the floor here. <laughs> All right. 
this is tough. Well, Follow that. Well, okay. Bert, all right. That, that that I think that was probably your best. Yes. Final say. I think I have ever heard. When I, I'll be honest with you. When I saw that you were going to do the final say, I took what I had written and I doubled it basically. <laughs> I, 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 I have to give I have to give you applause. That was very, very well. I done. appreciate it. But again, I want to remind everybody out there, just because I have an opinion does not mean it's the only one. Steve, your opinion. There's a lot of people out there that love this movie. Go for it. All right. I have loved this movie for a long time. This is my childhood, and this is the only movie that carries over from my childhood that I really enjoy watching today. Frank Langella is amazing in this movie and he acts his ass off. Dolph was at the peak and he got nabbed to play this role. I think he has even gone on record to say he hates talking about this movie. It's okay, Dolph. You made the ladies happy at least during this time. (laughs) The story is where it really dives. They didn't need to bring it to earth. I wish they would have stayed on Eternia. Maybe in a sequel like Beastmaster, they could have gone to Earth. That storyline of the whole going to Earth things seems very sequel-esque. This kind of really wasn't my intention, but I think I'm going to do it anyways. Villain analysis. Yes! (laughs) Skeletor is the top dick in (laughs) He-Man lore. There's no, 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 there's no pun intended. Um, (laughs) This was portrayed right away that Skeletor hated He-Man and he didn't need it to be explained why. Good guy versus bad guy mentality. I have always put Skeletor at the top of my villains list of all time. (laughs) Then Thanos came around. Then I think I realized I held Skeletor in such high esteem was because of the actor portraying him. (laughs) Relating him to Justin Hammer? Not the way to treat your beloved ruler. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Now, I am more of a critic these days. I see a lot of silliness in some films that I haven't seen before. Julie, wanting to ditch her whole life because of her parents' death, and then realizing that they survived and then now ditch her new friends. And that just caused me, that just pissed me off that whole cause. (laughs) I hated Kevin in this movie, but Julie really takes the cake. (laughs) Let her rot. (laughs) I watched this movie for the first time, probably when I was six or seven years old, 30 years, 30 years later, I still really like it. And in 30 more years, God help me, I still will really like it. I did have a proud father moment when my son came into the when I saw when my son saw the intro to this movie and he was glued eyes and jaws open. Now, for our viewers, he, he was two years old. So there's a lot that catches his attention. But you take anything and you go with it. This, that was one of the best father-son moments I was able to share with him. I That will get trumped later on in his life by another set of films that we have discussed here at length on the movie Planet. But in the end, for me, 
I can, there's no way in hell I'm giving this an A. There is too many problems with it and too many things that piss me off. Julia alone knocks it down a grade and a half. So that puts it in the B range. But I still can't say that it is a B. I just I look at the films in this pantheon and I'm like, nope, I, I, I have. I mean, I love this movie, but I, I, I can't put it above them. To me, I give it a C plus. Better than average for me. Okay. <laughs> so, if we average our grades, you gave it a C plus. Yes. A better than average. I'd love to know yes. what an average one of these movies looks like. And <laughs> an F from me, that puts it at a solid D plus. Yes. That uh, makes sense. No, doesn't make sense. (laughs) A solid D plus, which puts it just underneath the labyrinth on the outside. Um, It's not making the Pantheon (laughs) surprising. It's not cracking the Tolkien saga. Um, No, and it shouldn't. It shouldn't crack the Tolkien saga. I don't think so. If and I didn't, I, if I, I didn't know, know you and trust you and know you're a man of honor, I would think that you were Battle of Five arming me right now. But <laughs> I know you don't know. I know that you know. I don't want to repeat that moment ever again on the podcast. <laughs> so I respect no, your C plus for what it was. Well, thank you. Yeah. But let's get her critic sets off. Do you love, like, or none of the above? And I'm going to say I love this movie. I love it because it's the dumbest fucking thing I've seen in a long time. <laughs> and I, I even told Caitlin the other day, I was like, you know what? You should watch this movie. We should, You should bring over a case of beer or bring over some wine, and we'll just turn it into a drinking game because of this movie is laughably bad. And she's like, the room? I was like, it's room level. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, I, I'm surprised. You know what? This is... I have an F movie that I love. <laughs> Steve, how about you? <laughs> I I I don't like this movie. I still love it. I still love it. I love it the fact I love the intro. I love Skeletor. Now that seems a little kinky, but you know what? It kind of <laughs> went with parts of the movie. I I whenever the ending comes up, I I, I I'm just happy. I really still like this movie. And like I said, God help me, 30 years, if I'm still around, I'll probably still like it then. (laughs) And you know what? Good for you. (laughs) But I want to be clear about something, my friend, and that is when you finally introduce your son to Superman, what are you going to say when he says, this is a ripoff of Masters of the Universe? Well, I... I I have hope. I have hope that he will watch this film. But I think deep down inside, he's not going to give two craps about this. <laughs> Here's the thing. You got to hook him early with this movie. Otherwise, he'll see through the special effects. You got to get him early when he doesn't know better. Yeah, he needs to, I mean, he'd be going from Paw Patrol to this. I think that's oh, that's it. That might be tough. That's a rough one. <laughs> okay. I get it. A rough one. <laughs> hey, look at that. Uh, 
Uh, okay, that's all we've got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, JC has nominated Warcraft for the video game movie pantheon. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast.gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify, and give us a four- or five-star review. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, and follow the Instagram. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet Podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet Podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is in intended steve i have a feeling i know what they are any last <laughs> words good journey <laughs> that was not what i was expecting oh really <laughs> come on it's perfect <laughs> nope i was expecting to hear i have the power <laughs> oh. well thanks for listening and happy movie watching <laughs>